let's open our Bible or your tablet or device or whatever you have with you to Isaiah 6. So we've been in Matthew for like a year, um, but we're taking a break from Matthew in between Advent and Lent to just talk through some of our favorite passages in, on our leadership team here at Church at East and just to kind of walk through some of those that we normally wouldn't get to discuss. Um, and since we haven't gone through Isaiah in a minute, you know, I feel like this would be a good place to start. I really like this passage. Um, and so let's get there and I will uh, read it to us. Short passage. So, yes, Isaiah 6. And so um, it, it may be familiar, it may not be. Um, I enjoy it, and I want us to look at it again, like we talked about last week. Sometimes with our favorite passages of Scripture, our favorite stories, you know, or your favorite book, or whatever you read, you, you can kind of know what's coming, if you will. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, I know this part that's coming up. I studied that forever ago, and so I'm all set here. You know, I'm good. But to try to look at it fresh and look at it with different eyes is tough sometimes. And so I've enjoyed the last couple of weeks getting to do that. And I'm sure, uh, I hope we all get to enjoy that as we kind of look at passages that may or may not be familiar, may or may not be something we've heard before. Okay? So with that, I'll just start reading. And this is Isaiah writing, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above God stood the seraphim, each with six wings. With two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they called out to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory." And the foundations of the thresholds shook, they can sook too maybe, but they shook for sure, at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwelt in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Whom will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And God said, Then go and say this to the people. And then we get this message from God to the people. So, Let's go back to the beginning here and talk about a few um, crazy things. First of all, too, I'll just say, I, I have read this passage a lot, that it doesn't make me think it's a crazy story is, is probably not the best, right? This, this is a strange thing to read, right? There's these seraphim calling out when he's in the temple worshiping. He's alone in the temple worshiping, and these, these huge beings start flying around, frightening ones, right? In, in the Bible, anytime there's like an angel present, they're not sweet. You know, it doesn't sound like a choir when they sing. You know, we picture that like this, the song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. And it's like sweet and slow and nice. But these seraphim are these monstrous creatures that we get described in Scripture, and they're, they're covering just like strange parts of themselves with their, with their wings, too. They're covering their faces and their feet, and feet, usually, in Old Testament, they're going to say feet as in like their genitalia. So they're like covering up themselves and their faces while they're flying around with the other two wings, like saying loud enough to shake the thresholds of the temple Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. And this, 
it's, it's, again, something that would be deafening and frightening and shaking Isaiah. That's why he falls out and says, oh my goodness, I'm undone. This is the end. This is it. It finally happened. The seraphim came for me. You know, whatever it is, whatever he thought was going to happen. But even what the angels yell, what they chant and scream is important because they're not just singing in repetition, God is holy, God is holy, God is holy, God is holy. Which, what does holy mean, by the way? We have anyone that has an idea? I'll make it sound right if you're wrong. I'm like, you know, yeah, sometimes I bet it is. Or whatever, you know. Anyone, what's holy mean? Set apart, right? Set apart in what way? Do we have a way to describe that? Anyone can guess on this one too. Set apart in what way? Okay, that's a good one. I think that's true in this circumstance for sure. What else? It's kind of the set apart in a grand way, right? Like this, and that would be very grand. This, This idea of it set apart so far that the only word for it is holy. And then when they would say it twice, because they would say in, in um, Hebrew scriptures, they would, even the way their language works, they would say something is holy, or they would say something is holy, holy, meaning, whew, it's holier than the normal holiness things, right? It's like set apart, set apart. It has different set apartness, right? <laughs> is another silly way to say it. But then if you say it three times, it's this idea of complete separation and complete change. So they're singing over and over, holiest, 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 or most set apart, most set apart. It's unexplainably set apart, right? Or you won't understand God's set apartness. You can't. There's no chance. His, like, they just, they're, they're singing this at Isaiah, and he would understand how they're talking to him in this language, like what their language is saying. And it would add to the fear. It would add to like the, the importance of them there. It would add to like just the, the overall, what we're going to talk about in a second, the weight in the room. Because then they say this other phrase, the whole earth is full of his glory. And glory is a tricky one for us. Glory to us, to me, maybe growing up, I pictured something glorious as something like shiny right? Like extra pretty. Or, um, I don't know. Man, I'm going to say what I think about. I'm going to say. I think about Zoolander. Have have you seen Zoolander? And at the end, when he turns left and does Blue Steel, this male model unveils Blue Steel. It's a a Ben Stiller comedy movie. And Will Ferrell says, it's glorious, right? If you remember this part, because it's shiny and it's beaming and it's ridiculous. And glory to us is, is just almost ridiculous for what the word means. The word could honestly better be translated, especially in this story, as weight. Like weight as in not a, like a scale of pounds, but like a, a pressing down and a, a always acknowledged thing. And they're saying to Isaiah, in a cloud of smoke as they fly around with loud voices, shaking the thresholds of the temple, God is so set apart and his weight fills the world. God's weight is upon everything. It's inescapable. You you can't unsee it. 
It's in everything you would do and everywhere you would walk, and it's upon all the people you would know. God's weight is everywhere. The earth is full of it, to the brim of the weight of God's self. That's different to me than singing a song quietly and nice in my chair, you know? To, to know that and to like hear that, Isaiah to hear that, and for him to be this, this wonderful priest, soon to be this wonderful prophet, and, and to have said, you can't understand how set apart God is, his weight fills the world, you know? And then Isaiah says, then I'm, I'm done, <laughs> you know? I can't do it then. And they take a tong from the altar, they touch his lips with it, this purification action, right? And then God says this thing that I haven't noticed before, I don't think. But God says, who will go for us? Who shall I send? To me, I thought the seraphim worked pretty good. Like, it worked out. Isaiah was like, oh yeah, I believe this. This is frightening. It's scary to me. Please clean my sins. Please help me before I die, right? God has pretty good use of tools in that way. Like, it worked. Like, I, I was Isaiah, honestly, I bet you should do this again repeatedly everywhere. It would totally work. You've got a great campaign in this if you choose to use it. This is, the, this is our messaging. Let's stick with this. You know, it's pretty awesome. But he asks for something different than that. And Isaiah, you know, with his self full of the weight of God, it's me. I'll do it then. Here am I. I. I am. Send me. And I've been caught with that, not the here am I, send me part, but that, that God wants to use us in the sending of his weight. And that's interesting to me, and that's tricky, because, because I know myself, we all just shared different things about ourselves and what God's doing in our life. We are fairly broken people. Like, we, we are each of us, individually, the whole world, not just you, not just like our people. But we're at times such a mess, full of regret or guilt or shame or disappointment. Sometimes joys break in, hopes break in. We have these moments of extreme love and intensity. But we, at the end of the night, oftentimes really know who we are. And God says, you are the ones to share my weight with the world. And so, how do we do that? What, what, what ways do we share God's weight, right? I just have a few in there short. You know, we can, there's a million scriptures about each of them, so I just want to share a few of them that I've just been mulling on this week. And one is found later in Isaiah. It's this idea of true justice, Okay. And so we have this passage in Isaiah we read all the time, and I'm not going to read it because it's long. Um, but, but Isaiah comes to the people, and he says, um, here's the deal. God's sick of your fasting and your singing and your religious actions. He, he doesn't like them anymore. He's, he's deaf to them now. They don't even get God's attention any longer. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? We fast really well. You, we fast, and you didn't see it. We called to you, and you didn't hear it. We sang, and you weren't entertained. You didn't inhabit the praise of your people, right, that we have these poems about in Psalms. And God says, no, and Isaiah explains to them, true fasting for God is this idea of justice. When you see a stranger to let them in, this whole idea of refugees come home. We sing these songs to like 
get that into us somehow and to say, no, no, we will be those kind of people. We want to provide housing when we can. If someone is cold, we want to give them a coat. How can we have five coats at home when people don't have any? It just is just mind-boggling that we are completely okay with that lack of justice that we share with the world. And Isaiah says, God doesn't hear you because you're not being a repair of the breach and a restorer of the streets. He says, but you can be. Justice can be like a part of our normal walk. We can show it with our finances and with our, with our bodies as we welcome people into our homes. We can, we can show them with how we encourage each other, how we text or call or d- just being yourselves with the world, providing that justice, this, this idea of not being numb to seeing someone in any kind of need. If, if we have... It's just... It's crazy to me that we know best. When that is shown to us, we feel God's weight. When we get to be a part of it, we really feel God's weight. And yet we're not interested in it sometimes. I'll tell you a a story, and I I think we have time for it. Now I'll cut something else. I was talking to John about it. I hadn't, John about it. I haven't talked about it in forever. I may not have shared it here in years and years, so whatever, but... We went to um, South Africa when I was 23-ish, so a lifetime and a half ago, for sure. Um, I think the only person I knew at the time might have been Rob, maybe not, I don't even know. Um, We went to South Africa, and I volunteered in an AIDS hospice for a summer, and, you know, I'm not a doctor or nurse in any way. Like, there was no, I wasn't, like, studying that and doing, like, this internship or anything. They just need people to, like, go rub people's feet with lotion, go meet people, go talk to them, go, like, help empty bedpans and do things that people didn't have time to do or the staff to do or whatever. So we, me and some friends went and did that. And um, one time, I went to see this young lady who was my age at the time. I was, again, 22 or 23, and um, her name was Stimbile. I remember her face still very well. And we just started talking to her, and I was like, what's the first thing you would do if you weren't laying here? Like, what would you do? Tell me what you love. Like, tell me what you like. And she said, oh, I'd hug my daughter. She's like, I have a young daughter, and I'd hug her, and she's healthy right now, which is great. I pray for her every day. She's healthy. I get to hug her. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. What's the second thing you would do? And I was thinking, like, oh, I'd go kiss my mom, or I'd do this or that or whatever. And she goes, I'd eat a pizza. And I was like, me too. That is what I would choose. Me and you have so much in common, Stimbile. Like, let's talk about it. And I was like, what kind of pizza? She's like, one with so much cheese you can't even tell it's pizza. And I'd listen to music. And I was like, yes, I like you so much. You are, me and you are on the same wavelength. I like pizza as well. And so, anyway, I chatted with her for a little bit longer. We went about our way. And um, uh, later that week, we were going to go visit. And me and my friend were like, this is what we're doing today. We went to this nearest pizza store and bought huge pizzas, and they were like, and I was so excited. I was like antsy about it. I was like, oh, this is the right thing to do right now. I'm so pumped. So I was like excited, and they were like, what kind of pizza? And I was like, one with so much cheese, you can't tell it's pizza. And they are like, so you want extra cheese? I was like, yes, all the extra cheese. So we go, and um, I go in, and she was like, what's in those boxes? I was like, what do you mean what's in these boxes? Pizza with so much cheese, you can't tell it's pizza. And she just laid her head back, and she goes, I'm going to be honest, I prayed you would bring pizzas next time you visit. I was like, yeah, 
yeah, you did great. So we wheeled in all her friends on the different parts of the wing of the ward, and we had a pizza party. We put on music, and they like sort of danced a little bit, ate a few bites of pizza because they were too weak to eat. And they, we had this pizza party that was the most exciting party of my life. I mean, there's been nothing compares to it. Not a single thing. And y'all have thrown great parties. <laughs> Every one of you that have invited me, it has been quite nice. It has been very lovely. But it wasn't that. And I remember if there was a time in my life until that day that I'd felt God's weight, it was right then. Just providing a small bit of tiny, why don't they get to have a pizza party like other 23-year-olds? and dance a bit, and bring their friends over from the dorm, you know? And man, that kind of justice should be like, that's the here am I, send me to that, right? Right? It's not going and knocking on a stranger's door and being like, can I convince you you're a sinner and let me tell you F-A-I-T-H? It's, I want you to come to the most weighty pizza party in the world, right? That's the weight of God's holiness. And then, and then there's this idea of forgiveness that comes along, which is strange in this time, by the way, right? Like this idea of God being a forgiving, forgiving God was wrapped around what? What had to happen for God to be a forgiving God, in, especially in Isaiah's time, but up and through history? What, what did they do to get God's forgiveness? They had sacrifice things, right? Sacrifice the purest thing they had, right? Or the best thing they had, or just whatever they had, Right? From the very beginning, the first story we have, now, first story, not chronologically, but the first story we read, if we just open the Bible to the first page, um, is this idea of two chapters later, there needs to be sacrifice, right? One sacrifice is good, one sacrifice is bad. So it's this entire system that comes around this. And so forgiveness was, was costly to something, right? You had to pay for it. You had to travel a long way through dangerous terrain. You had to do certain things. You had to do the, the order of service correctly, right? We would fail that all the times. So we never start on time. But it has to like, be timed exactly right. You have to do that to get forgiveness. And then the kingdom of heaven breaks in and becomes at hand with Jesus, And Jesus' first conversations are about justice and forgiveness. Both of the first ones. First time he speaks to people, it's about, you know what, blind, you're about to see. Lame, you're about to walk. The poor, good news is going to be preached even to you. It's the year of the Lord's favor. And then he goes into this whole theme of how, what we are to be forgiven from and how we can be forgiven from it. And it's different. They don't take a sheep to the altar anymore. They don't have to worry if they had enough money to get the most forgiveness. It's not a penance. It's this idea that closeness with Jesus and this, this idea of requesting it with our mouth brings it to us. This strange new thing this strange new concept in religion. It, it was so strange to them, they didn't even understand how many times they could be forgiven because they're like, well, how many times am I supposed to forgive my buddy? You remember the story? There's a story where the disciples, the, the ones that know Jesus best are like, but how many times do I have to forgive him? Surely there's a limit. They wanted a limit. <laughs> they're like, I want to know the limit so I can tell my friend not to step one step further, right? That's what they wanted. Obviously, that's what they wanted with God too. They wanted to know their limit. And Jesus tells them, oh, there's no limit. You don't forgive them seven times. It's 70 times seven times. And I'm sure one of those 
goobers did the math and was like, okay, only 490 or whatever it is. I don't even know what the number is. John would help me if he did. But you know what I mean? But this idea of forgiveness being ongoing, a life we live in relationship with Jesus, it was just completely different. And when we forgive each other, and when we, honestly, maybe even more when we are really forgiven, when we really, really damage some part of our life or some part of a person or something of our relationship with God and we really are forgiven, we feel God's weight. The weight of God is all around and it really does feel holiest, holiest, holiest. It does. It's a strange, beautiful, it's incredible. And then we have this idea of community that I feel like gives gives the weight of God a face and a name and like touch and feel, right? I mean, John, I didn't, you just perfectly set it up with your, what God was doing in your life this week. But even a concert on a Thursday at 1030 with friends they see occasionally added to God's weight in their life and was felt. I'm sure by the band, sure by the other people around, it's funny when you go to a concert and all the band's friends are there and you don't know them, it's just like, oh, look at you guys. You are doing right, you know, coming for your people, you know, that kind of thing. I tell you, at, um, here at Church at East, there's been no place in my life that people have given me their presence like here, that have been available to call, that have sent messages that just showed up in our life with donuts when our house is a mess. Kevin and Tiffany, thanks for that. That's always good when y'all do that. I really mean, I love it. That sounded sarcastic, but I love it. For us to be invited everywhere all the time, for our kids to be hugged when they're savages. Like, we know this. But when we dive into community and we really get in there and we let people know us and we try desperately to know them, God's weight is all around. We experience it. We feel it. We can, we can see it. You, you touch it in the hug. You know what I mean? It just, it just is, is the, that's the holiestness of God, right? The holiestness of God shows up as we give each other community freely. Even when we're a mess, especially when we're a mess. And so I just want us, we're about to enter a time of communion, but I just want us, as we're thinking about communion, And as we're thinking about, yes, I want to be one with Jesus, I want to be one with God as I take this bread and cup, I want us also to think where we see God's weight and then where we can give it. Where can we further God's weight in the world? Where can we bring it notice, right? Where can we we point it out? And what could we do to do that? And that's just what I want us to think about as we have communion today, um, and we'll go from there. So let's do this. Let's stand together. Um, we're going to have a liturgy of response on the board. Here at Church at East, we have communion every week together, and the way it works is I'm going to read part of our liturgy, then I'll ask you as um, a congregation to respond, then we'll read the Lord's Prayer together. After we do that, um, the band is going to play a couple more songs, and the tables are open. So any time during the singing, if you want to, there will only be two songs, I believe. Come up, get communion, um, go back to your seat, or mill around, continue to worship, and um, thank you for that offer.